Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Viviana Lavaretti is one of the most awarded winemakers in Chile, famous for the quality of her cool climate wines in the coastal Leda Valley. Listen to us chat about why Sauvignon Blanc is her favourite grape, what it's like being a female enologist in a conservative country, her inspirational project in Mayeco with the native Mapuche community, and why she's so tough on herself. Hi, Viviana, how are you? Hi, Tim, nice to see you. Nice to see you again. It's lovely to, lovely to see you and also to hear, you, hear your voice. Where are you? I mean, you're, you're in, I know you're in Chile at the moment. Yes, I am. I'm in my house in this uh, very cold morning, Sunday morning, with my coffee here. Um, I'm in Talagante. I live in a town outside the city, outside Santiago, and it's uh, 20 minutes from the cellar, uh, taking a rest. Because <laughs> you just finished, well, finished vintage fairly recently, haven't you? I mean, probably a month ago? Exactly. We finished harvesting the cedar one month ago. Uh, so we are arranging <clears throat> everything, all the wines in the cellar, putting reds in the, in the barrels, moving and racking the whites. Uh, so it has been a very busy moment, but now taking a little bit, uh, a small rest, because now I have to start making the whites blends, you know, so <laughs> we never stop in the cellar, you never stop. <laughs> Listen, we're going to talk lots about your wines and also about the climate, this very special climate that makes your wines. But I always do this with people, and I like getting a little bit of background, really, because you were born, you were brought up in Chile. Um, I just wonder, with a name like Navarrete, I mean, you, your ancestors must have come from Spain, right? Exactly, yes. My <laughs> father's um, ancestors came from Spain, from Rioja. There's a town named Navarrete, so they come from there. And my mother, uh, my second surname is Capurro, so it's Italian. Uh, my mother... Uh, great-grandfather came from uh, Genova hmm. and traveled from Italy to Argentina and then to Chile. Ah. And my mother is the fourth generation in Chile. So I have both. Yeah, because, I mean, because there are, there are way more Italians or people of Italian descent in Argentina than there are in Chile, right? Chile is more Spanish. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Italians just... were more intelligent. They stay in, <laughs> in Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've got better beaches, right? <laughs> Yes, I'm kidding. I'm just yeah. kidding. So, I mean, was wine part of your life growing up? If you've got a Spanish Spanish parent and, a, and an Italian parent, they must have drunk wine, right? Yeah, but you know, I have nobody related in the wine business. So it was uh, my own path and my own discovery to end up in this beautiful wor world of wine. Yeah. Um, my father is a lawyer and my mother is a kinesiology. So nobody uh, worked really in, I don't have grandfathers, no uncles, yeah. nobody that worked in the wine business. So it was something really my own path and my own discovery to end up in, in the winemaking. So you, di you didn't inherit any vineyards, right? No, nothing. <laughs> no, I have done everything by myself. And I think uh, that is, uh, so I, I value it so much because um, 
And now my parents look at me and say, wow, how, how, how was all this path and all this way that you ended up in, in wine? And, uh, you know, it, when I was in school, I always loved biology and chemistry. And uh, in a way, I, I thought I should study something um, related to, to science, mm -hmm. uh, but not in the human side, but in, in nature. And then I started to think about biotechnology because I mm -hmm. thought and I, I saw myself working in a laboratory, uh, making uh, um, investigation and et cetera. Uh, but then in Chile, you have to do a test when you graduate from school before going to the university. And mm. you had to have a huge score to enter to biotechnology. And of course, I didn't get that. Uh, <laughs> so I entered into a program that in Chile is called Bachillerato, mm. where you study different classes related to science. And I did that for one year. And then I realized I should go to agronomy. So mm. I did the test. And the following year, and I entered to Catholic University to study agronomy. Yeah. And then uh, you study agronomy to be winemaker, but in that time I didn't know I wanted to be winemaker. Uh, but then when I was in the fourth year, I realized that in Chile there was a lot happening in the wine business. There were new valleys being discovered. Mm. Uh, a lot of investments were done in, in wineries and there was a lot of energy putting in, in making premium wines. And yeah. I wanted to take part of that world. So yeah. uh, then I chose in my last year of agronomy, I chose winemaking. And I think I couldn't have chosen a better a better career. Definitely. Well, it's, it's not been bad, is it? You've been pretty successful. But, you, you know, you started at Vigna Leda in 2007. Was that yeah. your first job? No, it wasn't. I started at Contitoro. Mm -hmm. uh, that is the biggest, as you know, it's the biggest uh, winery in Chile. Um, and there I worked for five and a half years. Uh, and I should say I was very lucky because Contitoro is a huge winery, but I was privileged to work with the Reserve and Premium Wines with very good professionals there. So I had the chance to learn everything. And in that moment, it was my first career. Uh, I was like a sponge, you know? I wanted to absorb all the knowledge and um, it was very intense. And I dedicated myself really strong in that moment in, in working, in learning, in improving. Uh, and after five and a half years, I was, um, um, they, they, gave me the chance to, to move to Leida to be in charge as a chief winemaker. Uh, anyway, in, when I was in Concha, uh, we bought grapes from Leida Valley for making Sauvignon Blancs mm. from some producers. Uh, so I knew Leida Valley before, and always when I went to this valley, I saw the place, the topography, and it was for me like a caricature, you know? I, I love the place from the, the landscape, uh, the, the rolling hills. I got in love of the place. And then... Uh, when we did the blind tasting of the whites after the vintage, always my favorite whites were from Leda Valley. So I was in love from the valley before starting working. Before, before you went there, basically. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as you said, it's, it's a comparatively young area in Chile. I just wonder, you know, what, why weren't there vineyards planted there in the past, historically? And, and what changed to make plantings possible? Because it's a dry area. This is a secano area where there's no enough rainfall. Uh, imagine that now we receive 250 millimeters of rain a year. That's nothing for growing vines naturally. Uh, so for start planting there, 
the first owners of Leda Winery, who were the really first one to plant in this valley, and they were the, the ones to start developing this area, they had to do a huge investment together with the government and some privates to build an eight kilometers pipeline and take water from the Maipo River and irrigate the plants. Without that investment, it was impossible to start planting the vines. Uh, and that was so, so you, you couldn't grow the grapes without irrigation they die with they the vines exactly and and now mm. we're receiving 250 millimeters it is our new normality but mm. years back 30 years back it was 450 millimeters which was still nothing yeah. uh, so thanks to that investment we started with the first plantations back mm. in 22 years ago mm. and now the valley the whole valley has 1,800 hectares. So it has grown, not yeah. that much. It's still a small area, which makes it very interesting. Uh, but yeah, that's why the main reason why it, it wasn't developed before. Yeah. I mean, tell us a bit more about the about the terroir of the Leda Valley. You've talked a bit about the climate. We know it's very dry. Uh, it's also close to the ocean, as I think you're about to tell us. Tell us about the influence of, of the ocean and maybe a little bit about, about the soils. Yeah, so you mentioned this, this valley is a very small valley that is located in the west side of the coastal mountain range and is at 12 kilometers from the Pacific Ocean. So it's a real, it's a very extreme valley. Um, it has a strong influence from the Pacific Ocean, which is very, very cold because it has the humble current influence, which comes up to the country and in, in, in Ecuador, it turns into the left. So it, it leaves all this cold condition in the water that affects the climate of this place. Mm. It's very windy. It's very, it has morning mists. It's very foggy. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's funny. I always say for people that goes in holidays in the, to the beach there on January and February, it's a nightmare because they wake up and it's always foggy. <laughs> and always, only they, ha they can go to the beach at three o'clock. So they lose all the morning. <laughs> uh, I, I always say, say that because for them, it's a nightmare. But for uh, viticultures and, and winemakers, it's a, it's a paradise because mm. you can imagine that the, the process of ripening of, of the grape is very slow in time. Mm. Uh, and then that uh, makes up to be, uh, allows us to have very strong flavors, very strong aromas, and the acidity is fascinating. I would say that one of the things that really stands up in this valley compared to other valleys in Chile is the high, crisp, and juicy acidity that you have natural in the grapes, mm. and it's because of the, of the climate. Mm. Interesting. Of soy, as we are in the coastal mountain range, we have mainly granitic soil. You have a lot of different kinds of soil, but a, but a summary, it's granitic soil that is uh, great because you have this cold climate condition with bright acidity and nice intensity of aromas. And then you have granitic soil, which brings vibrant and juicy palate. So yeah. it's the perfect link. It's, it's a good place to be. And it's interesting, you've got two properties, haven't you? You've got El Maiten and you've got another one called El Granito, you know, named after the granite soil. <laughs> yes. Just tell us about how the two properties differ and how the, the, the differences are reflected in the wines you make there. El Granito is the vineyard that is more coastal. In fact, it's the, one of the most extreme vineyards in Chile. It's only four kilometers to the Pacific Ocean, and it's really windy. 
Uh, it's more windy than El Maiten. El Maiten is a little bit more in the inland at 12 kilometers from the Pacific Ocean. So they both have eight kilometers of difference. And one can think that eight kilometers is not that far, that much, but it is in terms of temperatures, for example, El Granito has 1.5 Celsius degrees lower than El Maiten. So in this vineyard in El Granito, we don't plant Sira, for example. Sira is in the other, in the El Maiten, a bit more in the inland. Uh, and it's much more windy, El Granito. So in terms of vintage, we always start harvesting El Maiten. And then you have like two weeks of gap. Uh, you start harvesting Sauvignon Blanc from El Maiten vineyard. And then you have two weeks and then you start in El Granito. Uh, so it's much more extreme and, and cool. And I would say in terms of... of wines maybe in el maiten you get a little bit more or more exotic style of fruit with mm. with palates that are more concentrated and creamy mm. and in el granito I, I feel that sauvignon blanc are a little bit more herbal and more citrus with the, with a palate that are very vibrant but, but more linear they don't have the the powerfulness of el maiten so it's really nice to have these both places um, and, and in terms of soil in my tent, you have a little bit more red clay mixed mm. with with uh, a granite with granitic soil, so that helps to have nice body wines. And in El Granito vineyard, uh, it's more. Well, this is our maritime terrace that years and million years ago it was under the water, under the sea. So we have um, some fossils deposits, but very very degraded. Uh, so you have a little bit of limestone there and more influence of the river, of the micro river, because it's around this vineyard. So sometimes yeah. you find some alluvial spots as well. They are totally different areas, but very interesting, both of them. I mean, and you also work very closely with, with Tomas Rivera, who's the viticulturist at Vignoleda. You two are, are, are a very, very good team. Um, how involved do you get in the vineyards? I know you like to be in the vineyards a lot, don't you? The two of you are often in there sort of discussing <laughs> soil pits and, and canopies and all sorts of stuff. You, you seem to be a, a really good friends. Is that right? Yes, that's right, Tim. I've always thought that wines are made firstly in the vineyards. And that's why in our winery, winery we have put a lot of our investment and our budget in the, the design of the plantations. I mean... Um, the vineyards were planted about 12 years ago, and uh, I think for those years it was a really innovating thing. So we invest a lot in clonal selection, in good materials, high-density plantation, different exposure of the rows. Um, so I think that's our soul. And uh, with Tomas, I, I think for making good wines, you have to have a good team. Mm. And uh, we have managed that with Tomas, that not only I visit constantly the vineyards and we try the grapes together and we see the work together, but also he goes to the cellar. In fact, next Thursday, he's going to, to taste the wines with me of the 2022 vintage mm. and to see how the different clones behaved and the different polygons and the different blocks. So we chat a lot together. Uh, mm. Also, we have made uh, some travels together. We went to Burgundy. Um, six years ago and uh, two years ago before the pandemic we went to Italy to uh, to Chianti to Etna so those uh, experiences are very important because it makes you um, work really together and mm. I, I know Tomas uh, uh, he knows very good the potential of the wine and the importance of the quality of the expression so mm. when you get that kind of, of uh, 
of commitment together, of course, you can get better results. Yeah, it's a synergy, really, isn't it? I mean, exactly. just, just I want to ask you a bit about your winemaking style. You're an exceptional winemaker. You've won so many awards, I've lost count. Um, yeah. I mean, do some people call it female? Do you mind if you're called a feminine winemaker? Do, do you like that? Or do you just think, I'm Vivi, you know, I make my style. doesn't matter if I'm a woman or a man. Uh, many people say when when sometimes they finish uh, tasting all the portfolio from Leida, they laugh and they say it, it shows that there's a woman behind the wines. Mm. And it makes me laugh because I don't do it uh, on purpose. But I think um, that there's a, it, something happens because I work in a cold climate area that um, where we grow cold climate grape varieties and it happens that all they are all delicate varieties. So Riesling and, and Sauvignon Blanc and, and, and Pinot Noir, they, all, they are all delicate grape varieties. So, of course, the style should be um, not, I don't know, feminine is the word, but, but more, more delicate, not with super extraction, not over oaked. Uh, but, but yeah, sometimes people, yes, people say that I don't care at all. I think it's nice that you get, but I, I, my job, my target is just to show what is laid about. Um, yeah. And of course, it should be an elegant, elegant uh, style of wines. Yeah. I mean, I know you, you know, you, you're a lovely person, but once somebody told me that you're very demanding in the winery and somebody <laughs> once referred to you not as a rock star, but as a witch. I can't believe anybody would call you a witch. How do you get the best out of your employees? I mean, are you demanding of yourself as well? Yes, Tim. And it's not the one worker that calls me witch, but all of them. <laughs> all all of, them. of them. But it's ironically, they, they, they make it in a fun way. Because, yes, you're right. I'm very, very tough. Not only with, with my workers, but with me. I, I'm, I'm really tough. I, pan I tend to punish myself. Um, I always... Sometimes I, I think that my best, best man, benchmark is myself. I, mm. I always try to push myself uh, further and further. And I think at, at the end, that is life. Uh, to, to every year improve not only yourself and your experience, but also in your wines and, and make Leda Winery better. And not only Leda, but, but Chile. I would love to make something mm. special for my country. Um, so if I had to harvest a Sauvignon Blanc at 21 a uh, 21.8 bricks that I have it in my mind and then it, it doesn't matter no matter how many analysis and how many times I've tasted the grapes in the vineyard it happens that I receive the grapes with 23 bricks in the cellar it's a nightmare and believe <laughs> me I punish myself and I cannot sleep well the next five days thinking why didn't I pick three days earlier and I like that a I like that. And with my people also, I'm very strict, but uh, you know, Tim, afterwards, they, it's, it's lovely because when we are pressing, for example, it comes the best of Neon Blanc of Leida, everybody, all the workers are in the, in the reception <laughs> area shouting, there comes the favorite, there comes Wait. the baby. And they're all in the press. It's not one eye pressing the grapes, but there are 10 eyes and they all go running and see the color of the juice in the tank and when I see the green color of the Sauvignon Blanc perfectly and it, with all the aromas and the perfect sulfur, I hug them and I shout <laughs> and we celebrate. So we are very intense, but, but people get that. And, and at the end, they work really, really nice. So I think when you show the passion and you share with the people, mm. uh, every, everybody has a good moment. Everyone, everyone shares it. Yes. I mean, tell me a, bit, a little bit more about what it's like being 
a, a female winemaker in Chile. I mean, Chile is a wonderful place, but it's quite conservative in many ways. I mean, do you think it's harder to succeed there as a woman than it would be in somewhere like the States or France? Well, France is quite conservative as well. But, you know, is, was it tricky, really, to succeed as a, as a top female winemaker? I think in the past, maybe. I have been in the wine industry for 20 years now. So, so yeah, if I, if I remember back, it, it was really challenging for women. And I always was one of the few women in the wine fair or one of the few women in the, the seminars, etc. Uh, but now, you see, I see with good eyes that women have come in the wine industry with a lot of strength. And you see now women, a lot of women in charge of wine projects of wineries and as first winemakers and, and also in, in the commercial area as um, manager in marketing, mm -hmm. uh, many women traveling, selling wines. So I see that woman has, has gone in the Chilean wine industry really strong and I see it with I think so. eyes today. I yeah. mean, which female winemakers in Chile inspired you? I mean, because there are, you know, three or four really prominent women who kind of led the way, I think. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. I, I think my my favourite one is uh, Marilu Marin for Cas from Casa Marin, from La Barca. I think she's a, a very powerful woman and she uh, took the risk years ago to just uh, invest in her own winery in, a, in an extreme area for Chile. And I really admire her Sauvignon Blanc since 20 years back, mm. uh, I, sh I think she has done a very good job for, for our country. Uh, mm. So she inspired me a lot. And um, I would say also Cecilia Torres, mm. uh, that she used to work in, in Santa Rita. Mm. Um, she makes beautiful Cabernet Sauvignon and, and mm. she was one of the first ones in, in, mm. in our country. So I think those two images of powerful women I have mm. in, in, in my mind. I mean, both, both of them have won the Legend Award in my annual Chilean report, and you've obviously won the, the Winemaker of the Year. You're, you're everybody's Winemaker of the Year now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about, I mean, you've mentioned uh, in passing, you know, Syrah and, and, and Sauvignon Blanc. Which other great varieties do you work with? And I want to know, do you have a favourite, really? You, how many great varieties in total? Are you five? Five great varieties? Yeah, in whites we do Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Riesling and Sauvignon Gris. Hmm. And for reds, we do Pinot Noir and Syrah. Okay, six in total, of course. Yes. I've forgotten Sauvignon Gris. How can I forget Sauvignon Gris? <laughs> <laughs> and if I have to choose my favourite, I would say that Sauvignon Blanc, I love it. I love it from the moment that it arrives, trying the berries. I love it making the vinification, the, the, the blends. Hmm. I love how it evolves in the bottle. Um, I would have Sauvignon Blanc even with a barbecue, you know, so I would pair it with anything. <laughs> it's just a, a great variety that I really enjoy. Uh, but I, I think later it happens naturally in the best terroir. It grows really beautiful and, and it's easy. She's very, she's, um, uh, I don't know, uh, agradecida, we say in Spanish. She's a agradecida, a great variety. She's but, very... Huh? Yeah, she's very agradecida, thanks you in a way. Yeah, Esso. very thankful. Thankful, yeah. yes. Yeah. But the one grape that has uh, made me go older and older uh, is Pinot Noir. Okay. I, all my my white hair is because of Pinot Noir. <laughs> <laughs> and, so tell me what the challenges involved in making great Pinot Noir. I mean, and do you think Chile should try and copy Burgundy or try and make its own style? I mean, you obviously you're on granite soils 
not clay and limestone soils in most parts of the vineyard, yeah? Yeah, I, I think all the Chilean winemakers that we do, Pinot Noir, we have burgundy in our mind and in our mm. soul, mm. but it's not our target to copy that origin because we are far, far away in, in many terms. But uh, yeah, by far is the most challenging grape variety that for me, and, and it's always good to have this kind of challenge to push yourself to do it better. Uh, I, I think Pinot Noir in Chile, it has a great potential for those valleys that are planted in the coast. Uh, with this cold climate, with different, uh, you, you find limestone in the north and, and granite, as you said, in, in Leida. Um, Chile has a lot of pot potential for doing great Pinot Noir, and we have been learning during the years. I would say in the past, maybe 10 years back, in Chile, there was no way to find a good Pinot Noir. Uh, but now, Winemakers have taken a lot of knowledge. Most of us has have the chance to travel abroad and understand that the Pinot Noir is a very delicate grape variety that you don't have to over-extract, that you have to show the soil uh, and the cool climate and that it has to be feminine, as you said before. I always, when I work with Pinot Noir, I have in my mind this ballet, female ballet dancer um, uh, figure, like, uh, in the palate, the Pinot Noir has to have the, the look of a female ballet dancer mm. that is, is very tight, is thin, is long, is elegant, is mm. sinewy with a lot mm. of fiber. Yeah. Uh, and that is what we are looking in, in, in Pinot Noir, this elegance. And that shows the beautiful uh, fruit that you can have from Chile. If you compare mm. Chile with other origins, I don't know, with maybe Oregon or California, uh, the Pinot Noir from our country can deliver great red fruit profile together with spicy uh, mm. that I think we have to keep that and, and express it in each bottle. I mean, tell us a little bit about Sauvignon Gris, which I forgot. I can't believe, as I said, I forgot it. How different is Sauvignon Gris <laughs> from Sauvignon Blanc, your favourite white grape variety? <laughs> Uh, the Sauvignon Gris is, um, well, it comes from the same botanical family than the Sauvignon Blanc, but it's different. It, it's a cluster that it, it has some problems during the setup. It's had, it has a lot of millerandage, and I think that's why it's not A lot so of millerandage, yeah? Yes. So, so you, it means that you get small small berries within within the same bunch and, and big ones, yeah? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what, why it's not more popularly planted in Chile, because actually there are only five wineries that do Sauvignon Gris, 100% mm. Sauvignon Gris in, in the bottle. Um, but it's a fantastic grape variety because it, it ripes uh, after the Sauvignon Blanc, so it takes longer time. It has thick skins, so it's very good for cold climate because it doesn't, it's not affected easily by the botrytis. Mm. And when you pick it, it's, it's, uh, it has this uh, pink, dark color, very similar to the Yegustramine, mm. uh, and it's much more spicy. It doesn't have the, the aromatic profile of Sauvignon Blanc, but it's more spicy. It's more into the white pepper, the ginger, mm. and in palate, it's, it's rounder, it's big, it's, it has a high density, but it's, it will never have the long and crisp acidity of the Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. So I think for people that sometimes is tired about all this uh, high acidity of Sauvignon, <laughs> uh, the Gris is a good alternative um, because it's a little bit more creamier. And mm. I always say that it's just between a Sauvignon Blanc and a Chardonnay because okay. it has more density and sucrosity yeah. than a Sauvignon Blanc, but it doesn't have the waste, the oily, oily texture of a yeah. Chardonnay. That, I think that makes 
That makes a lot of sense. What about Riesling? I mean, I love your Riesling, but Riesling, as we all know, is difficult to sell, not just from Chile, from other places too. I mean, what, why isn't Riesling more popular, do you think? It's a pity thing because, yeah, it's a, a lovely grape variety. I love it as well. And I think in Chile you can find also beautiful exponents. Uh, but when, when it comes to sell, it's so difficult. I mean, we sell some in, in Finland and in England as well. But even in Chile, it's difficult. I, I think we, we have to teach more about the grape variety. Um, she deserves a, a, a space in, in, in mm. each uh, restaurant and in each, in each uh, um, store. It's, it's just fabulous. It's so delicate. It's so aromatic. And it's a variety that evolves so lovely in the bottle. Uh, I would love people to take the chance to, to drink it more. Even in Chile, it's very difficult. And, and outside... It's, it's so sad because people always think about Alsacia and Mosel, mm. so they don't give a chance to try Riesling mm. from Chile. They they mm. they think they still think that Chile is everything about Cabernet and and, and Carmenere uh, and having a Chilean Riesling is uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a step it's a step too far. Yeah, but <laughs> I think we are going there. It's baby steps, but mm. uh, I I think we are, we we will get the place. Mm. I want to talk a little bit more about a project that I've been to with you and, and I found really, really interesting. This is Tayu, which is a joint venture between your parent company, which is Vina San Pedro, or VSPT, and an indigenous Chilean Mapuche community in, in Mayico, and you're the winemaker there. How did it come about and what's your involvement? And I just wonder what you've learned from working with native Chileans. Uh, this project started because Viña San Pedro has always been very um, focused in sustainability in, the, in, in, in many different items, like building the, the first or the biggest biogas plant in, in Latin America uh, with solar panels, uh, lighter weight bottles, etc. Uh, so it has been managed and working towards sustainability for many years, and the one pending thing was the social um, mm. uh, topic. So they ended up in Mayeco down south, that is 600 kilometers down south from Santiago, in a still unexplored valley because it's always only 150 hectares planted, the whole valley, so it's very tiny. Uh, and they decided to start um, planting Pinot Noir with native people, as you say. Mapuche mm. people, mm. Uh, and they invited these people to start with this uh, new um, new work. Mapuche people, they, are, they don't have um, knowledge about viticulture, they don't have generations working in this, so it was a total different, a new business, uh, and we started working with them hand by hand, and I think that was uh, very special because it's, it, they had a lot of support, technical support from us, I was invited to participate in, of course, as a winemaker. And they are fabulous people because they are very humble. They, are, they have a special connection with nature, with energy. Mm. They have a lot of rituals that we are not used to it. And sometimes when you start working with them, you start experimenting this sensibility with nature. And it's mm. curious because we are agronomists and we work with nature, but some in a way... With all this, um, you're always in a rush and, and you work mm. in an industry and, and you're always running. And mm. in a way, sometimes you lose this connection with nature. 
Mm. But the way that they see everything is fascinating. It's quite, it's quite in intuitive in a way. It's, it's more profound, is it? Yeah, it's more, exactly. It's part of their sensibility. It's interesting. And, and, and at the end, it happens that nowadays they are, they are one of the best viticultures that we have. So yeah. with no experience at all because of the sensibility that you say, the mm. natural sensibility, it, it was so easy for them to, to learn about mm. viticulture. So mm. now the best grapes that we receive are from them. <laughs> This is, we, we talked a little bit about about rainfall, uh, particularly in the Leda Valley, and how it's got is getting less. Right, there's less rainfall now than there was twenty years ago. How do you think the Chilean wine is going to develop over the next twenty years, particularly with reference to climate change? Well, water is an issue today in Chile, and, and not today, but it has been about ten years ago. But it, it, it's very scary how we see that the lack of water is impacting not only in viticulture but in in, agro, in all the agriculture in, in our country. Mm. Uh, so yes, people are looking to be more efficient with the water resource and going more into technical irrigation system rather than just using water easily. Um, and I think in the future of, of our country definitely is going to move southern. Mm. Uh, nowadays, you see a lot of winery putting their eyes into the south of Chile because mm. our, you know, our country is very, very long, and the mm. main production of wine is still in the central center mm. of our valley. Because because the further south you go, the more rain there is, right? Exactly, mm. exactly, and it's it's cooler as well. So, uh, for instance, in Mayeco, where we have planned this project with the Mapuche, we receive one thousand two hundred millimeters of rainfall a year. That's a lot. Compared to Leila, yeah. that is only... That's five times more, right? Exactly. Almost? Yeah. Go exactly. Yeah. The problem is the high risk of, of frost. Yeah. So you have to have all the, these sprinklers to control frost. But, well, you get water, but you have to do the other investment. But, <laughs> so, so there's no perfect place, right? <laughs> there's no perfect place yet. But I think the future, the future of Chile is going to be uh, down south and in the coast, I think. In interesting, yeah. So using the Pacific and then using the natural rainfall from, from further south and the cooler temperatures. I want to ask you a bit about, we've mentioned this in passing, you've won lots of awards as a winemaker and as a prominent and very influential woman. Does it still matter to you? Do you still like winning awards and you think, yeah, great, you know, it's fantastic? Or have you got to a point where you don't need to win any more awards? No, it's always uh, uh, nice to, to win awards and... Uh, but you know, Tim, the, the special thing is that you don't work for winning things. Uh, you just work with a lot of passion uh, and a lot of devotion. For me, my profession is uh, is a way of life. I I I, I have uh, the winemaking in my daily day routine. I, I I really enjoy what I do. So so I think for any professional, when 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 he puts all the energy and focus and passion of what he do he does, mm. it normally has good results. And I yeah. think um, is is that is the result of, of of energy, of devotion, of passion. Mm. I always say that I have couldn't have chosen a better career um, of what I make. And and it's funny thing because I have three kids, and of course they punish me when I'm in vintage in harvest time because I'm out of the house and I don't I'm not in house on, on Saturdays. And they are very passionate. They don't 
take me take me anything. But at the end, when I see their faces, when, for instance, when we go to the supermarket and they see Leda bottles in the shelf, they shout, <laughs> "Hey, mommy, there's Leda!" <laughs> like if they they're seeing, uh, I don't know, uh, Mickey Mouse, and <laughs> and when you see that that fashion is is. Um, your kids uh, yeah. live that uh, and they know it's it's just fascinating. So they throw the passion everywhere. They're proud of you. I want to ask you one thing. I know you're a Chambon Musigny lover. Is there anywhere else in the world you'd like to make wine? Is Burgundy one of those places where you'd like to do a harvest? Yeah, I would love. I, I would love to go there. And I think it's a passionate place, not only wonderful wines, but also wonderful people. I like how humble they are, how, how open they are for people that visit them. Um, it's a paradise. And, and also the other place that I got in love was Polifume. Um, beautiful Polifume place. Polifume in the Loire Valley, yeah? Yes, yes. Yeah. I got in love of that place, of the powerfulness of the Sauvignon Blanc. It also opened really my mind of what you can do with that great variety. Instead of doing it so clean and, and so sharp and so tense, Sometimes you could play more with the texture and, and it blow my mind away. So I would say those two places. They, they super, they're both in France. You're a Francophile at heart. <laughs> not, 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 not a Spain lover, despite your background, right? Hispanophile, right? I forget I, about my past. Yeah. I mean, final question. I mean, you've got three kids. You've got this unbelievably busy and successful job. Do you find time to get away from wine and, and family, do things? I mean, I know you're pretty fit. You still do lots of sport. Do you, is that your main way of relaxing? Yeah, I, I do something that is called full body and I train three times a week. Uh, and, you know, I, I started just in the pandemic, in the COVID pandemic. Like I, I, I saw so many people drinking and so many people eating and I was like saturated with all of this. And I say I have to take a, a, a break. And I started training two years and a half three times a week and it really helps your what mind, is full your body what is full body it's everything is it yeah you do uh, with this i don't know the english word for pesas and the elastic you're doing bands. weights yeah yes right exactly okay. it's great that's, that's why you're in such good shape then you're, do, you're three times a week how many hours are you doing that for one and a half each time oh it's four and a half hours of that a week that's a lot but it's really good for your soul it helps and do, you, do you have a trainer Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. The one last question I wanted to ask you, talking about a trainer, is we've not mentioned Alberto Antonini. And Alberto Antonini is kind of a mentor to you in a way, isn't he? You know, he's the consultant to you. Just tell us just briefly what Alberto means to you. Oh, Alberto Antonini, he's my favorite wine person in the world. After you, Tim. After you. <laughs> and... <laughs> he's, he's fascinating. I've been working with him for 15 years. And I really admire him, and not only because he's full of knowledge and talent. He have learned, he have taught me a lot. Um, but you know, he's. I love the humble way he is as a person. I I love how he respect each one of the projects because it's not as he's going abroad the world with only one recipe, mm -hmm. putting everybody doing the same. But he really breeds each uh, each reality, each valley, each project and takes the best of each place. He's yeah. very respectful with what you are doing, so he will never go with a strict recipe, mm. but he 
works little by little trying to show and help you how to express better the terroir. And I think all the winemakers that we are doing wines with so much passion, we want to to transmit the place in the bottle. And and he helped to, to do that um, in a very gentle way, uh, realizing or make you realize that maybe using strong oak is not the way uh, of course doing a lot of soil research um, but he's fantastic I, I think he's he's really a great guy well I don't mind being second in in in, in, in your affections <laughs> to him he's a fantastic guy Vivi it's been fantastic talking to you uh, have a great day and I'll see you soon in Chile or in London I hope thank you very much Tim hope to see you soon as well bye take care bye 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 what a great person Vivi is I'm happy to take second place to Alberto Antonini in her estimation. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Zoic Garibian from Zara Winery in Armenia. Join us then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin, and on Instagram, at Tim Atkin MW. See you next week.